Today's episode is sponsored by Mitzi Schaefer at Jittery Wings Quilt Company. Mitzi has authored and illustrated a brand new book titled Improve Your Practice Free Motion Quilting. Quilting that beautiful quilt top doesn't have to be frightening once you learn to stop fighting with it. Visit jitterywings.com and use the coupon code while she naps for 20% off your own signed copy. Thank you so much, Mitzi. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 145 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today we're talking about running a fabric, notions, and gifts company with my guests Mark, Brian, and Josh Dunn. Mark Dunn got his start in the fabric industry in 1966, working with his father, William Dunn, at Sewing, Sales, and Services, which they founded together. In May of 1975, when Mark was 29, he moved to Texas to start United Notions Incorporated. He started with a five-man operation where he would take orders in the morning and fill them at his warehouse in the afternoon. In 1991, he started Moda Fabrics, a company that created a new product category of pre-cuts with their famous jelly rolls. Mark Dunn, welcome. Welcome. Good morning to you, Abby. Good morning. I'm excited to have you on the show. And Brian Dunn started working at United Notions during the summers and officially started full-time in 1986. He managed and operated the Denver warehouse for 15 years as vice president of operations until they closed that warehouse down to consolidate all of the warehousing in their home state of Texas. He moved back and has handled all fabric buying since then. Brian Dunn, welcome. Thank you. Welcome and nice to be talking with you. Yeah, it's nice to talk to you too. And Josh Dunn started with the company eight years ago after graduating from the University of Southern California with a major in photography and business administration. At Moda Fabrics, he is the director of international sales. Josh Dunn, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have all three of you together. So um, I'd like to start with you, Mark. It sounds like your father was in the textile business before you, and I'm wondering what he did when you were a kid growing up. Well, my father started his business selling sewing thread and zippers in in the early 50s, and he was um, a sales manager for Donahue Sales Corporation, which sold Talon zippers and we started into the wholesale business in 1966, selling to uh, independent stores and, and calling on fabric stores. At that time, it was a, a home sewing business was a home sewing business, not so much a quilting industry. There was 4,000 independent sewing shops and about 400 good quilt shops in 19. 19- 70. So it's uh, the the renaissance of quilting happened in around 1975 when when quilting really kind of came into its own and home sewing started its decline. Home sewing kind of declined because the schools quit teaching home ec and, and teaching sewing in schools. And so um, home sewing became a little bit unfashionable and along with uh, the import of cheaper ready to where it kind of took its toll on the home sewing business, but the quilting business took off like a rocket ship. Right, exactly. And there was that big shift. So, and where were you when you were growing up? Where, what, what state were you living in? I grew up in, in Atlanta, Georgia. I was born in North Carolina, but I grew up in Atlanta and that's where we were based. My father and I's company was based there in Atlanta. We serviced the, mostly the southeast, but, you know, parts of the other part of the country. Okay. And so you knew that business from working with him, and you had this company together, sewing sales and services. And, um, and would you travel from store to store, like um, selling your sort of catalog of goods? 
Yes, I traveled to Carolinas and uh, helped hire other salesmen to uh, take territories as we built the company. I was the sales manager of the company and and involved in the buying too, but but um, I mainly worked the sales force and with the customers. Okay, right. So that's how you got kind of got to know the home sewing industry and sort of understood it from that experience working with him. And then what brought you to Texas? Well, I wanted a place. I wanted to start my own business. My father wanted to sell his business and he was wanting to retire. And so I picked a place that I thought was the center of the universe. (laughs) uh, I could ship east, west, north and south. And and, uh, it was a southern kind of a uh, climate and, and, and I was used to the South. So I felt comfortable in Texas. So I moved here in 75. Okay. Right. So you just sort of picked it because it just seemed like the center of the universe. Right. Okay. And you felt comfortable there. So, um, and, and you started, um, you started your own company and you, and, and you had this small sales force there. So describe sort of what you wanted to do. What was your what was your vision with? And you called it United Notions. That was the name of, of the company in the beginning. What, what was your what was your vision? Well, in, I felt I could do a better job of distribution than some of my competitors, and and I had some good ideas. I was also starting with fabric at that time. I back then it was more sheath linings and broadcloth and batiste and basic fabrics, no no prints or whatever. And um, I started developing a fabric business early on as well. Okay. And um, as you said, it wasn't really about quilting. It was more about, um, you know, home sewing garments and that kind of thing, because that's what people were doing uh, in the, you know, in the 70, early 70s. Um, right. That, that's what people were creating. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and was it a lot of polyester? Well, the polyester double knit thing was the biggest trend in the many, many years. It's hard to be surpassed. It was. Um, it lasted for a couple of years, but it was um, at that time polyester sewing thread came out, and and invisible zippers came out, which made it easy for a woman to put a zipper in a garment. So um, the home sewing really kind of exploded there for a little while, but um, it, it, it started its decline once the schools and the started, you know, discontinued the home ec classes. Right. Yeah, I know. I was I was kind of in the last wave of home ec, and my my children don't have home ec, which makes me so sad. Um, but yeah, that's certainly. Um, that certainly was uh, what happened. So, um, okay. And then how did you sort of pivot to quilting? Did you start to see that trend and realize that either you were going to capitalize on quilting or you were going to go out of business? Well, I think I saw the industry changing and I saw the quilt shops starting to come alive and and the quilt industry at that time, the international quilt market started in, in Houston and, you know, Carrie Bresnan started the, uh, the quilt market, which kind of brought everybody together with a common purpose. And, and, and so it's, it's, um, I used to go around telling stores that you have a quilting department within your store. It's just, you're not merchandising to it. You know, you get your cottons together, get your quilt supplies and patterns and threads and so forth together and make a little department in your store and and you can mutate from strictly home sewing and pick up this other category of quilting which is growing in popularity so the stores many many of the stores converted slowly into quilt shops but some of them of course closed and quilt shops opened by themselves but yeah and i wonder do you think that I mean, we can talk about this later, but I wonder whether you think that we're going to go backward now. Um, Just looking at the industry and how it's changing. um, I mean, this is jumping way far forward, but I feel like we might be in a moment now when um, those same stores that 
converted 100% to quilting in order to survive with internet and online retail are going to need to diversify in order to stay in business? Well, the stores have always diversified. I mean, I've seen County Cross Stitch be a million, you know, hundred million dollar business. And I can remember when we bought DMC embroidery floss by the truckload. I've seen other trends in the business, you know, that have come along that have kind of fallen into the category of the sewist or the home quilter or the homemaker. And uh, these trends come and go, but quilting, of course, stays the mainstream and, and these other little categories come and go sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you feel like quilting is really still the mainstay and that that's not necessarily the case. Interesting. Okay. Um, And Brian and Josh, I wonder if you can maybe describe what you remember about um, United Notions when you were kids and growing up. Yeah, I kind of have grown up in the the company by all means, Uh, every vacation or not vacation, but every summer or, or holiday, I would come down and do some work in, in the warehouse mostly. And, and, uh, you know, I remember vividly as a kid, we, we used to have an aisle that was devoted to, uh, little iron on patches. That was always so fun to go down the aisles and look at all the smiley faces or cute little, uh, <laughs> different, uh, patches that, that we had back in those days. Um, you know, also one of my jobs when I was real young would be just to, uh, you know, we would recycle our shipping boxes. So I would go through and uh, have to fold the flaps and make big piles and stacks of boxes to try and keep them organized and sorted. <laughs> so <laughs> that was, uh, and, you know, I uh, had worked on the shipping table for, for a stint of time and uh, remember the days of Pelham Wonder Under where we couldn't keep that uh product in stock that it, as soon as hundreds of bolts would come in, they would ship right back out the door. And, and, uh, you know, I've seen several things over the years that kind of people get hot onto and it, uh, it just creates a feeding frenzy and it's hard to keep up, uh, you know, with the demand. Um, you know, for a while we had, uh, doll fabric was one of those other fabrics that, uh, was just hard to keep, keep in stock. And, uh, remember shipping, hundreds of bolts of that. So, um, but yeah, that's some of my uh, childhood memories there. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I guess being the youngest, I got to see both, you know, see, saw both warehouses and was a kind of a kid in the Dallas and, um, Denver warehouse. So I remember going up there to visit Brian and he'd have me, you know, for the first couple hours a day while I was still patient, do a few things on our computer system, changing, you know, changing information. And then I get to go out and, you know, make a wooden airplane or something. And I'd kind of be supervised by the warehouse manager or whatever. Um, and then, you know, back in Dallas, we'd kind of, uh, when everything was back in one warehouse, we now have um, three or four here. So it's kind of spread out. You were able to kind of, I could skate around the warehouse. A lot of people here remember me skating around the warehouse. <laughs> everybody and um you know see how everything was going and and that was always a lot of fun but um it was always amazing to me to see all the fabric come in from overseas and um you know get rolled up and then immediately go out but um I always remember kind of with that once I got old enough and was able out of the skates I was moved on to um (laughs) I remember I had to clean up trash one time and I had to jump in the trash to get it all pushed down so I think, you know, Brian, dad and I have done everything here from, you know, take out the trash to pull bolts to roll fabric, you know, pretty much anything here. We've all we've all had our hands in it. And do you have any other siblings or is it just you? Yeah, we've got um, we've got two sisters, too. So um, the oldest of us, Shelly, um, she she worked um, for us for a couple of years when she was younger as well. But now her and her husband um, own a prosthetic company in Austin. And, um, and my, the kind of youngest sister, she's between me and Brian. Um, she's one of our fabric designers. So her name is Erin Michael and she does, she did the funky monkey. She's done, um, let's see more recently, purebred, purebred to, um, she's had a lot of paint by numbers. She's had a lot of really great, 
lines and and will kind of um you know she's an artist by trade so she'll you know paint paint some stuff for herself do some things and then kind of um get inspired and create something for us every now and then nice okay so um so this is truly a, a family business um in a lot of ways and I wondered whether this is sort of a question for Brian and and for you, Josh, as well, whether you always knew you wanted to come back and work in the business or whether there was ever a question, you know, I mean, I think there's some people for whom it's like, uh, that's the last thing that they want to do, you know, <laughs> they want to just rebel and say, um, there's no way I'm coming back to do this. And, and there's other people who that's all they want to do. You know, they, they know from, from, you know, a young age that they just want to grow up and do this. So, um, so I just wondered whether how, where you, where you fell on that. Um, and, uh, and any tips on sort of doing it successfully? Uh, it seems like it's been a success story for you. And, um, and so any tips there? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, you know, grew up here and that's pretty much all I, I knew. And uh, my dad and I have a great relationship and have always uh, enjoyed working together with them. And, um, you know, I didn't really see myself anywhere else and was very content here. And, um, you know, I'm a, kind of a nuts and bolts kind of person. So doing the operations is uh, kind of what I what I enjoy and uh, dealing with numbers and everything. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, like I say, I've always uh, admired my dad and have enjoyed working with him. So um, I really had no reason to want to branch out. So it's it's been a great experience and look forward to uh, years ahead and uh, potentially, you know, bringing some of my kids into the business as they uh, get older. So hopefully that tradition will continue. Yeah. And, um, I, I'd say I was, I was probably always the same. I remember, um, when I transferred schools one time, they had, they'd offered Japanese and I thought, Oh, that'd be really great because then we could kind of communicate better with our, our foreign mills and everything. But I guess since I hadn't had, um, the early beginnings of Japanese, I couldn't, I couldn't take it on. So I was, uh, relegated to Spanish, which works pretty good since we're you know, here in Texas and have a lot of, uh, Hispanic, uh, employees. So, um, you know, I'll speak to them every now and then in Spanish and they kind of like, look at me weird. Like, I'm I'm no, <laughs> but at least I can pick up whenever, whenever someone's, you know, saying something, but, um, yeah, it's something same with me. I kind of always knew, um, I wanted to work here. I was always really interested in, in all sides of the company from, um, the fabric to, to how it's all managed and, and everything works so well. And, it was always great as a kid to watch dad and, and see how the amount of respect he has, you know, he's, he calls himself, um, a pebble star, you know, he's like a, a rock star, but in a really small pond. So, um, you kind of, I was able to kind of first see that when I went to market and, you know, couldn't hardly walk down the aisle without someone saying, Hey, it's Mark or hi Mark, how are you doing? So, um, something yeah, I've always wanted to do and, and really love doing it. And the three of us up here are, kind of an office. It's kind of like an L shape. So, you know, I can holler to Brian and Brian can holler to my dad. Brian's kind of in the middle. And I'd say throughout the day, there's hardly 30 minutes that go by where one of us is in the other person's office. So we're, we're pretty much always hitting ideas off each other and, and communicating. And I think that's kind of the, the most important thing is we're always making sure, you know, there isn't some kind of system that one of us is going around and, um, and communicate pretty well. So Man. I'd say that's key there. Mm-hmm, for sure. I'd like to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Mitzi Schaefer at Jittery Wings Quilt Company. Mitzi taught pottery for 10 years, and she learned that the success of her students was directly linked to their ability to feel the clay in relation to their hands and bodies. After developing a neurological disorder, Mitzi grieved giving up her pottery and her students in pursuit of another creative adventure that gave her that same feeling of fluid connection to an art medium, she found quilting. When learning to quilt, every free motion quilting class she took began with drawing motifs on paper and then quilting them. After taking a class with friends and watching them fight and struggle with the quilt and their emotions, she developed a book and workshop both titled 
improve your practice, free motion quilting. Before you begin doodling motifs, this book takes you several steps back to prepare your machine, your materials, and yourself to help you achieve more fluid quilting. The book reminds you to breathe, to stretch, and to evaluate your attitude. It also takes you through several drills that help you identify the best hand positions, body posture, and speed for you. Once you feel confident in who you are as a free motion quilter, the book teaches you how to apply that new confidence to additional free motion quilting motifs. To get your signed copy of the book, visit jitterywings.com and use the coupon code while she naps for 20% off. While you're there, you can learn more about the workshop and schedule Mitzi to teach for your guild or quilt shop. So head on over to jitterywings.com and type in that coupon code for your 20% off discount. Thank you so much, Mitzi. And now, back to my conversation with Moda. Okay, so I want to talk now about um, the scope of what the business is at this moment. So it looks to me as though there's there's really three prongs, with the third one having more recently kind of expanded. Um, and I want to talk about that as well. So um, we've got Moda, which is like the fabric uh, side of the business, and then United Notions, which is the Notions piece of the business. And then there's this newer one that's more recently expanded, it seems, which is the gift and home piece. So I wondered if you kind of just describe for people who might not be completely familiar with these three prongs, um, what each of them is kind of all about at this moment, so we can kind of get a, uh, an overall feel of the scope. Um, yeah, Home and Gift is kind of a division that we've always had for like 15 or 20 years, we've had a home division. We used to concentrate more in textiles like linens and and towels and tablecloths and uh, Christmas type um, gifts like tree skirts and Christmas ornaments made of fabric items so we were in the textile side of the gift business and now we've diversified more into the gift side quilt shops are basically you know, gift stores as well. A lot of the quilters like to have items that are quilt related, coffee mug or something with something to do with quilting on it or uh, a, a notebook or a, uh, an organizer or irons, things like that. So we, we just feel that it's um, another part of the business that the stores can pick up some extra sales on and, and have good saleable merchandise is profitable for them. Right. And I took a look when I was at Fall Market and... I mean, it's really impressive. There's a lot and there's a whole catalog for the gift and home. Some of it, it looks like you're um, commissioning from... Well, you tell me, are some of it, are you commissioning from your designers and then some of it you're actually sort of buying elsewhere? Um you know, so how, how are you sort of generating what's in the gift and home section? Well, if the designer sometimes will come out, of course, they've always had patterns and so forth, but they come out with other gift items to go with their line, a, a lunchbox organizer, let's say, or some other towel or apron or something. What's that? Apron or something. An apron, yeah, something like that. So they tie that in with their group. So we tie it in as well, you know, trying to give, first of all, some the models. The aprons can make good models for, you know, display and so forth. But it's just, you know, the quilter is in the store and they're, they need to buy gift items. They like, you know, fun things that are quilt related the tools and all the other things that that 
today make up the quilting business. You know, in the old days of home sewing, you know, zippers was the number one seller. Today, zippers is nondescript. It's just used for specialty, um, for purses and things like that. And, you know, elastic was a quarter million dollar, half million dollar business. And today it's nothing, you know, because sewers, quilters today don't use elastic much. So the industry has changed, continues to change and mutate. And we try to change with it. And, and right now we see the gift business is, is an area we can do some business in. And it's not a be all end all. It's just an addition to. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of, I mean, it's got some cute stuff that, you know, like the socks, for example, the socks is kind of one of our, was our first step out from the more, um, you know, linen and kind of the original quote unquote Moda home that we had started about 15 years ago, as dad said. Um, but that was kind of our first foyer into something that was a little different and that's done really well. And, and it, as I, as dad was saying, as long as it's something that's kind of quilting related, um, you know, we've got these socks that say pedal the metal and then, um, you know, one stitch at a time or anything like that. Um, you know, it's, it seems like it kind of gets some traction and, um, is a fun little thing for, you know, us to wear and, and ha- have some of our branding on it and also fun for the shops and, and real Moda lovers to wear. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. All right. And then let's talk a little bit about what the sort of the fabric portion and United Notions. So for people who don't really realize that, I mean, I think there's probably some portion of the public who might not realize that these companies are actually one and the same. Yes, they are. Yeah. The United Notions portion is uh, what the company was originally founded on, um, which, you know, mainly we were distributors for uh, other companies uh, distributing sewing threads and sewing notions, um, uh, you know, quilt supplies and, um, you know, zippers, threads, tapes, all the things that were, uh, you know, part of the whole sewing industry back in, in the early 70s. And, and uh, you know, it has kind of mutated over the years, but, um, you know, that's kind of what the, the company was, you know, originally started out as a distributor and then started branching into getting into our own uh, products and outsourcing, uh, you know, importing in some, uh, some of the notions, but, uh, you know, the more success was when we uh, got into the motor fabrics. Right. And when was that? Do you, do you remember when sort of you realized that you needed to start producing your own fabric? Yes, it was. We were distributors for other lines of fabric, like, Concord or VIP or Springs Mills, who in the early days were the kings of quilting, so to speak. And people like RJR and Hoffman, who was there, and Robert Kaufman, older companies that were in the textile business were also mutating into the quilting business as well from apparel and from home sewing. So I saw that the way that industry was operating was very dysfunctional because people would buy a new line of fabric and they would get half their order and the other half would dribble in over two or three months because the manufacturer was making reprints and and didn't know how to buy their buy the goods properly so we kind of changed the way that the, the industry works along with the you know, having the stores take a look, see it, at what was coming and, and and vote, so to speak, for the patterns that they wanted printed. And so we, we print based on what the customer wants, not what we feel they need. So we let the customer guide us and, and we buy accordingly. And, and so that's how we kind of mutated and eventually we dropped all the other distributor lines and now we're strictly Moda. You know, we don't have any other distributor lines anymore. Right. Let's um, dwell on that for a little bit. So, right, you dropped all the other fabric um, from your um, distribution. That's the only fabric that you distribute now. And and that model is um, is quite different than um, than the way that other companies do it. And and I just want to sort of flesh that out a little bit. So what you're saying is that um, you allow the shop 
owners um, to sort of vote. In other words, based, based on their orders placed, that's what you print. That's how much you print. Am I saying this correctly? You correct me. But um, instead of saying, okay, uh, designer, you know, you submit the artwork, we're going to print this amount and that's it. That's the set amount. Instead of doing it that way, you say, we're going to take those designs, go out in the field uh, to all the shops and, and determine based on their orders okay, that's how much we're going to print and, uh, and only that amount. And, um, and, and so it's much more sort of based on supply and demand. Correct. It's, um, it's eliminates a lot of markdowns in the industry. A lot of people having to dump old goods, goods because they misordered or ordered their shipments came in too late or one thing or another. It's, um, you know, we also print early before we go out with the line so that we can get cloth samples to sell from. So the customer sees exactly what they're going to get as opposed to showing a piece of paper with a uh, picture of what they might get. Ours shows you the exact sample of what you're going to get. And then we also use those same early printings to go to designers and to public publications and marketing people to start social media about the new line and about the designer and so forth. So that we, we call it, we put the horse in front of the cart instead of having the cart in front of the horse is the way the industry used to do it. The industry used to make some fabric, go out and sell it and see how it did and then try to make, make some more right quick. And it doesn't really work well that way. Right. And are there any downfalls to that? Are there any downsides to doing it the way you've, you've done it? In other words, it's a disruptive model. It's different. Um, and usually there's pros and cons of, of either way of doing things. So are there any cons? The only downside, I guess, is you have to print and hold a lot of goods, you know, because we printed three months before we actually ship it, some of the goods. So we... You know, it's um, you know, we have a warehouse where we keep about seven hundred and fifty thousand yards of goods uh, that's just waiting for us to place the rest of the orders to go with it to uh, ship to the customers, so that everybody gets everything they want at the same time instead of piecemealed. Mm-hmm. And so, in that way, you you're sort of fronting the money and and having to hold. Um, which requires a lot of capital, right? Um, and, and maybe not everybody can, can do that. But at the same time, maybe you end up with more satisfied customers and the customers here being the quilt shops, um, because they're all getting what they wanted when they wanted it. Yes, I try to run the business as if I was the customer instead of the salesperson. I try to put myself in their position and know that when they buy it, collection of fabric they want to get it all in one time and they want to get it you know on time and and uh, so they can go out with a program and totally at one time with their new patterns and all the other support items that go with it so and if you talk to quilt shop owners which I do on a regular basis for a lot of my articles and other things that I that I'm working on Um, That is the one big complaint that they have, not with Moda, but just in general, is that, you know, their order doesn't come in complete um, from other from other manufacturers, I'm saying, Um, you know, they they've placed an order for the hot new line, and it doesn't come in complete, either it comes in in piecemeal, it comes in late, it doesn't come in at all. And it just seems like the industry is really racked with this distribution problem. Um, And it really frustrates them. Uh, so the fact that you've been able to solve for that, um, is kind of huge. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it does involve you being able to, to front a lot of money and, and hold this, hold the goods. But at the same time, uh, the fact that you've been able to do it to me seems really important. It's important to the store to understand that they need to look three months ahead and 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 uh, and plan their classes and plan all their events 
while we're printing the goods. So it's um, it works out best for everybody. It's the stores and and the, and the mills and and the, and then our warehouse and our production, it all works much better this way. And how are you feeling about digital printing? I've been talking to quite a few people about digital. It seems like it's getting there. It seems like um, there are more and more, you know, high speed digital printing plants becoming available, particularly in China. I don't know whether you've, you know, what, how you're feeling about it, whether you think it's, it's there yet, um, whether Moda is doing it yet, uh, or whether you're sort of hesitant to go there. Well, we're not hesitant to go there, but, but it has its place, I think, but it's not a replacement for, for conventional printing. We believe that conventional printing, we know it's going to, the color fastness is going to last for hundreds of years and the quality is going to be there. We don't know yet whether or not 50 years from now digital prints will hold this color as well and so forth. So not that that's a, a big concern, but I just prefer the, the conventional flatbed printing because you're forcing the dye into the fabric and and you have better controls over it. Mm -hmm. Digital is being done in many countries right now. Everybody's jumping on the bandwagon. You know, it's Pakistan, China, Japan, Korea. They're all doing digital. But we prefer Korea on digital because it's more expensive, but, but they can move faster and they can also give us our pre-cuts and in our pre-cut program which we we can't get sometimes from places like china or pakistan and we just prefer to work with the japanese and koreans more because of the quality and the consistency of their of their product and let's talk a little bit about pre-cuts because as we mentioned in the introduction, Moda really developed this category, and it's a massive category. Um, and I wondered whether you could trace back a little bit about how you realized. Uh, it's not as though there were no pre-cuts, right, before Moda, but I mean, there were fat quarters, right, before before this, but jelly rolls and this whole sort of sweets, you know, all the, the sweets. Um, and, and really the, the whole idea of pre-cuts was really developed by Moda. And I wondered if you could sort of talk about how you realized this was going to be a thing and a really popular thing that quilters were going to want and then kind of created it to meet that need. Well, you're right. There was pre-cuts before we got into it, but they were basically just the fat quarter bundles, which most people did, which was, um, uh, you know, just a fat quarter of everything that was in the collection. And collections were not really developed until, say, the uh, late 70s. Before that, everybody just bought patterns and tried to put four or five patterns together to make a look to make a quilt, but then the fabric companies started coming out with collections of fabric so that everything was coordinated and you have a large scale and a small scale, so forth. Yeah, so, right, so that's interesting too, right? There weren't collections, there were just different, you know, fabrics that were out there and quilters would have to sort of pull together to create a quilt. Um, so that contributed to pre-cuts being, because a pre-cut you know, roll of fabric, for example, is going to pull from a collection. And so you need a collection to create a pre-cut. Um, so that's an important, you know, contributing factor. But um, so so once those were in place, once, you know, fabric companies had um, collections, then how did you realize that um, pre-cuts, you know, sort of taking that step 
the cutting step, which is really time intensive and really labor intensive for the quilter. Once you realize that taking that step away and doing it for them was going to be valuable and was going to be worth paying for. Um, so how did you sort of come to that realization? Did you talk to quilters and say, hey, if we did this for you and we just gave you a whole bunch of squares that were cut to size, would you like that? Would you pay for that? Or how did you come up with this idea? Well, we, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head and you said one of the most difficult things for the quilter is cutting the fabric. They're afraid they're going to cut it wrong or they're going to waste fabric and so forth. So we took the, the two items that people use the most, the shapes that people use the most, and one was the strips for strip quilting, and we made the jelly roll, which we, we, we titled that because it was looked kind of like a jelly roll, and everybody likes sweets. So, um, but then we came out with a little charm packs, which had, people had done before as well, but in the five by five squares. And then we came out with what's called layer cakes, which is the 10 by 10 squares. So it's, um, and then from there, we've, we've gone into several other types, but basically it helps the quilter, the beginning quilter, first of all, it helps the quilter that doesn't know how to coordinate the patterns together to make a, a consistent look in the quilt because, you know, it's all put together as a collection that, that, that is in the same color family and, 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 and same general genre. So um, it's, it's really exploded and, 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 and it's um, become today probably 15% of the business. Wow, that's really significant that it's 15% of the business. And I know that pre-cuts are hard to cut. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy to cut accurately, to cut pre-cuts accurately. And I'm guessing that getting those cut, sort of finding a sourcing cut, cutting for those in the beginning must have not been the easiest uh, challenge to overcome. Right, we had to find someone who, who cut fabric and teach them how to cut it, like, and then to roll it and to package it like we needed. So uh, we we developed two partners early on, and and uh, and near the mills where we worked, and we worked with them to develop the program. And today, they're still our our suppliers for that. Wow. Okay. So the the pre cuts are actually still are cut overseas and at the mill. Right. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Interesting. Um, and what about substrates? Um, you know, I know uh, we talked a little bit about diversification and um, how is Moda thinking about diversification when it comes to substrates and printing on a wider array of um, base cloths sort of to to serve a different kind of customer or just a customer who wants to be able to sew more than just a quilt on, you know, quilting cotton, maybe wants to also sew some garments or some home deck or some other things with the same prints that she sees on, you know, Moda quilting cotton. We've always believed in substrates, you know, we've always carried wool and cotton linen blends and lawns, but today we're diversifying into things like rayons and canvases and even starting with knits. So it's, um, they aren't the volume, of course, that the cotton goods is. Cotton is still king, but the, the industry is mutating again and it, the sewist, I guess you've heard that that new lingo word we have for the for the new kind of sewer that's out there who's not yet a quilter but who's got a sewing machine and and is making things or making clothing or whatever. So these substrates are more exciting to that kind of a person than the and a normal quilter is, but the quilter can also use the same fabrics. And then in their quilts, so um, it's it's an interesting to see the industry kind of mutate again because more and more of these substrates are becoming more accepted, 
and it's part of the whole modern movement, you know, which is, um, you know, taking place. One of the reasons we went into uh, Ruby Star Society. Yeah. Okay. Let's go there now. Let's talk about, um, I have that on my list of questions, so we'll go there uh, now. So, um, you know, recently the women who had founded Cotton and Steel at RJR uh, were looking for a new home and um, came to Moda um, all together uh, as a unit and started this uh, new division at Moda Ruby Star Society. So talk about that decision to bring them on because it isn't insignificant to bring five people on at once as um, a unit and allow them to create together like that. I mean, it's a pretty significant investment. And, um, and so, um, so what did you, what was the thinking there? I mean, what, what were you, um, what were you considering when you decided to do that? No, the modern filter is, is a very diverse kind of, person they're not just making quilts they're making all kinds of home products and aprons and chair covers and pillowcases and whatever else easy things to start sewing with but they want the modern look and the modern look is taking over if you look at it in the world if you look at california where everything kind of starts you know the architecture is changing out there the real modern housing is coming and it's even coming across the country now in, in Dallas now when they tear down a house they build a modern house back they don't build a contempt you know a traditional home and it's affecting art and it's affecting you know fashion and everything else so the, you know the modern movement is out there right now it's maybe eight percent of the business nine percent ten percent but it's growing and and we feel that this is our way to kind of stick our foot in the water with the with the real sewist and a modern quilter, and so we formed a collaboration with um, you know Melody Miller and, and and her crew at, at Ruby Star. So um, and we're really excited about the way it's starting out and everything's going going good and uh, it's you know for the young at heart and the, and the beginning sometimes the beginning quilter the Beginning sewer, I, I'm a firm believer if you get a sewing machine in their hand and they know how to operate it, eventually they'll mutate to quilting. It's the epitome of, of textile sewing is, is, is quilting, even more so somewhat than apparel, but, you know, because of the geometry involved and all the work involved in designing and making a quilt. But um, if you don't get them in front of a sewing machine, they're never going to get to where we need them to go. So that's one of the main thrusts of my company is to try to get new sewers involved and get a sewing machine in their hand, and it'll eventually become a, a customer, you know, uh, of a you know independent quilt store. Yes, and I, you know, I wrote an article about uh, Ruby Star Society for Uppercase Magazine not long ago, and one of the things I talked to uh, the women uh, who who are a part of that about is about distribution. And actually, one of the things that they said was that they really appreciate the way that Moda's model is, which we just spoke about, um, because um, that was one of the really big struggles they had in their former fabric home. Um, and so knowing that uh, all the fabric would, uh, would arrive in shops at once when it was supposed to was really comforting to them. So, um, so that was interesting to hear. Um, and, um, and I also wanted to talk, if we could, about Fabric.com. So uh, if anyone has ever shopped on Fabric.com, you know that Moda is one of the few manufacturers that doesn't sell there. And I wondered why. Uh, is it just that the margin is too slim? I mean, Fabric.com is owned by Amazon. We all know that margins on Amazon are slim. So I wondered if that's the reason or if there's some other reason. Well, basically, Amazon falls into a category of customers that we tend to avoid Um Basically, we sell independent customers, independent, and 
find that working with major chains and 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 people like Amazon or Walmart or Hobby Lobby or whatever they're they're too demanding in their in their um, rules and their policies and how you have to do this and how you have to do that and they tend to want to run your company instead of you running your company so I'm prefer to work with the independents because they're the ones out there teaching people how to sew and teaching people how to quilt and holding classes and holding seminars or whatever else so the I tend to stay with I tend to make my bed and sleep with the people who support me and who will accept to do business the way I do business. I think that's really interesting. And I have spoken with several other fabric company presidents about fabric.com and asked them the same question, which is, isn't fabric.com a big box store, right? Because fabric.com is Amazon. Amazon isn't Amazon a big box store. Isn't Amazon the same as Joanne? Isn't Amazon the same as Hobby Lobby, as Walmart? Um, to me, those are equivalent. If, if anything, Amazon's bigger than any of those companies. Um, and so why, if you're going to, you know, hold your ground and say, we don't sell to the chains, we don't sell to Joanne, we don't sell to Hobby Lobby, but then there's your fabric on fabric.com that doesn't seem to groove. Um, so to hear you say that if you're not going to sell to the chains, you're also not going to sell to Amazon, that just seems cohesive. Um, I mean, it's fine if you want to sell to the chains, but then s- sell to all the chains. You know what I'm saying? Like it's either one or the other. So um, it's just, uh, to me, it seems like um, odd. But okay, interesting. Um, I mean, I think uh, fabric.com, it, the volume, you know, the volume of orders is really big. And I think that can be hard for, for companies to, ref- to, to turn down. You know, that volume is a big, that's a big order that they place. It would be nice business, so to speak, if it would be business like as usual, but it's not. It's um, everything has to be done in their manner. You have to kind of run your business to suit them, and I tend to run my business to suit my independent stores. So, therefore, I've kind of made my bed with the independents. Right. Okay. And um, can we talk a little bit about the role that Quilt Market has played and continues to play in your business? I know um, you you referred to Quilt Market and um, pro- probably attending Quilt Market early on in maybe 1979 or 1980 when it first started. And, um, and um, so it sounds like you've probably been going for a very, very long time. So can you reflect on the role that that show used to play and the role that it plays now has your presence grown and then shrunk or or what well i believe in the quilt market probably more than anybody and you'll talk to and not only because i'm on the board but i'm on the board because i believe in what they do and how how it helps the industry um there's a lot of people today that are saying, well, the quill market's not what it used to be, and but it's it's uh, still the, the best place on earth to get information about quilting. You can go to classes, go to schoolhouses, and learn how to run your business better, how to, how to be a better quilt shop. And so it's the best place in the world to find that out. And also, it's just nice for stores. I know myself, when I was a buyer, and then I went to market that it's enthusiastic enthusiasm that you get and the camaraderie and the excitement that you get from the market, the ideas and the, and the rejuvenation of your business is, is worth every penny of it. So we believe in a market and take a big, big stab at it and in our booth and with our our, we bring all our designers in, so the customers can meet our designers, and we 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 take a big stance because we believe in the industry and and want to see the quilt market continue to 
flourish. Okay, so is your booth size, number of booths the same as it has been? Our footprint grows, has been growing consistently since we've been in it. You know, we've, we've been going to the quill market since 1976 and have never missed a, a show. So um, even when they did the shows in Europe, we were there. We were there at some of the other small shows that they did, like in Providence, Rhode Island, and so forth. So it's a it's the best place for a quilter to get information and 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 knowledge about how to run their store and how to find out what's new in the industry. Okay. Um, and, uh, um, I would love Mark, if we can, um, talk for a moment about your clothes. So, um, people know who know you or have, um, seen pictures of you, uh, will know that you're quite a snappy dresser and, um, uh, and uh, people often look forward to seeing you at quilt market because they know that you'll be wearing something interesting. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your personal style and about your, your, you know, how you, how you approach, um, the clothes that you wear and, and, um, and how you dress. Well, I have fun with fashion. I guess you'd say I, I like, I appreciate fashion and appreciate particularly fashion prints, you know, anybody who does a real unusual print. And as a printer, it's always exciting to me to see uh, unusual prints. But I don't know. I've always been a, a clothes horse, so to speak. I, I just have fun with my clothes and, and, and you know, it, it's part of my love of art and all things quality and all things, you know, um, creative okay yeah um so if you are going to be at quilt market definitely um look out for mark and see what he's got on um and um and the last thing i wanted to talk about before we get to your recommendations all three of you um is a little bit about moda's charitable efforts um i know that that's another thing that moda is known for and so if you can just um describe some of the charitable programs that you have running and um and maybe how people could could get involved in them that would be great well we're, i believe in supporting the industry you know i I'm funny with my donations and, and what we support as a company. We support local people, our food banks and so forth locally and charitable organizations in our local community. I believe in supporting your community, but also I believe in supporting the quilting community as a, as a, as it's good for business and it's good for, you know, helping the people in the, our industry. So we, um, we are members of a national quilt museum and we are members of quilt Alliance, who is a, a very good organization who's trying to protect and preserve the industry as I am. So, uh, we also support four or five museums that we donate to, 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 uh, preserve and, and, the uh, quilting industry. So I'm I'm a big believer in in trying to keep the industry strong and keep it growing. Also, if you talk about your collection for a cause. Also, I do a thing called collection for a cause, where we take a collection that we we do in house, and we instead of paying royalties to a designer, we pay royalties to a cause. So we we take cases in the quilting industry where there needs to be help and and try to donate money to those special interests. That's wonderful. Um, okay. So unless, um, do you have any sort of big announcements or things coming up, events or um, other sort of programs coming up that you wanted to talk about before we get to our recommendations? I wasn't sure. Well, we've, Developed a program which we're going to introduce in in the Kansas City at the market, which is, and and going forward where we've taken simple 
projects like making a pillowcase or making an apron or making a little messenger bag, simple sewing projects that a beginner can do. And we've put together a 12 piece program. They're packaged in a, you know, in an individual packages, not by the yard. We print the goods in digitally and, and it's mainly to get new sewers involved and beginning sewers involved. Here again, if we get some kid behind a sewing machine, I find that it's a lot better than being behind a computer. It's even guys like to sew, young kids, boys, it's, it's, it's a machine, you know, it's got a gas pedal and it's, 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 you can control it. And what are those, are there kits basically, right? What are those kits called? It's called Cut, Sew, Create. So it's a, it's a program of 12 different items that are for beginning sewers. And, and so you can teach someone to make an item real simple. It's got its own pattern and everything enclosed. Everything you need to make the uh, the item is in, in the package. The idea was started by one of our designers, and she brought it to us and, and asked us to you know help develop it with her. So um, Stacy Eastu, who's who's done um, all of the doll panels and that have been extremely su- successful, she's kind of the uh, she kind of came up with the idea and and came up with the program and then brought it to us and we helped her develop it. That's fantastic. I love her designs. Yeah, that's great. Okay, super. Well, look, definitely look for those. Um, so I want to get to your recommendations. So I'm going to ask each of you to recommend something that you are enjoying right now that you would um, recommend to a creative friend. It could be a book, it could be a magazine, an app, a tool. Um, doesn't have to be brand new, but just something that you think somebody else might enjoy. So I think I'm going to start. Um, I'll start with you, Brian. I'm going to pick on you. So, uh, so recommend something that you would recommend to a friend? Well, um, I guess it's been out there for a while, but I, I think it's the, the greatest app out there is, is Waze, W-A-Z-E. Um, you know, I have about a 45-minute commute every day from work, and um, I tell you, that, that app is a lifesaver. It really does a great job of directing you uh, around traffic or accidents or um, anywhere. So, uh, you know, it's hard to think... Uh, you know, in the past, having to actually deal with a map, sometimes if you didn't know where to go, you had to get out a piece of paper, and, and uh, that app is really uh, intuitive and uh, has been a lifesaver uh, day after day. So if you don't have ways, <laughs> look into that one. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. It's fantastic. Um, and, okay, good one. And, um, Josh, you're up next. Um, I. I my wife and I really enjoy cooking, um, so we uh, got this. I guess it's uh, a sous vide. So we've got the Jewel sous vide, um, and it's all controlled from an app. So essentially, like uh, the idea of sous vide cooking is you cook things in in plastic in water. Um, so like one of our favorite things to do now is steak. So essentially, you you heat the water up to like 135 degrees, and it's control, all controlled via an app. You say, you know, I've got a one and a half inch or one inch thick uh, steak and I want it medium rare. Um, it gets the water ready and you season the meat and do whatever you need to it and then put it in there and it takes about 45 minutes um, and then I'll sear it on the grill just to kind of get a little bit of grill marks on it. And it's my easiest way to get things um, cooked perfectly. But, you know, you can do all kinds of stuff in it. We do um, fish in there to make sure it doesn't get overcooked and it's 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 really fun to sous vide things. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, app. We, I don't really do a whole ton of, um, book reading. Brian and I are too busy messing with stuff like either, um, you know, either in the lawn, Brian's a big gardener or not landscape, I guess would be, (laughs) he's got a bit of land. So he, he likes mess playing with that. And then I, um, play around with some race cars. So we're, we're typically not, um, have time to read or anything like that. <laughs> so sorry for that. That's okay. No, that sounds really neat. I've never, I, I love to cook too, but I have to say I've never done sous vide. So I, I need to look into this. That's super neat. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Um, all right. And Mark, you're, you're the last one. I guess for me, it would be Instagram lately. It's a, it's a way every day I pick up with, seeing what the uh, 
quilting world is doing out there and also uh, other people where I follow in my hobbies and things that I enjoy but it's a good way to you know if you got five minutes while you're waiting for a doctor's appointment or whatever it's a good way to keep up with what's going on in the industry and what people are doing and what people are saying so it's kind of my new thing that I follow I'm not much of a social media person i don't do facebook i don't do twitter twitter or anything i'm but i am a instagram follower so and a follower on facebook i'm not a, i'm a voyeur not a not a, <laughs> not a participant right cool and mark i know did you have um you had a pretty cool car for a while do you still have a pretty cool car cars yeah. <laughs> you say cars yeah Yes, I'm, I've been a nut for cars since I was a kid. I, since I was 16 years old, I've collected cars and, and, and enjoyed automobiles. That's one of my hobbies. And I kind of like and run in my business to building a fast car. So, uh, you know, it's enjoyable to tweak the business to make it run better and more efficient and so forth like you do a car. So. But I, I collect um, Porsches, mainly as uh, my car of choice, and and I have have fun with them. My sons and I, we we drive them and take them out to the track and have fun with them. That's really neat. Okay, cool. Can you tell us about like a favorite port? Like, do you, how many Porsches do you have? Do you have several? Yeah, I have about seven okay. Porsches. Wow. All right. I have a very rare one of a kind one that's very rare. That's my favorite one. It's a 1987 one. It's a, a race, a professional race car. That was they only made one of it. So it's it's just part of my collection. That's amazing. I also have a collection of quilts. You know, I collect quilts as well. That's one of my other loves. I think there's probably very few people. Who collect both Porsches and quilts? Yeah, <laughs> cars, clothes, clothes, and quilts. That's <laughs> kind right? of my. Yeah, you've got to be one of the only people who collect those three things. So exactly, that makes you a unique person, Mark. <laughs> Which is a good thing. So, well, uh, Mark, Brian, and Josh, this was fabulous. Thank you very much for taking the time to be on the Walshy Naps podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us, and we wish you a good day and a happy weekend. And you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. This episode was sponsored by Mitzi Schaefer at Jittery Wings Quilt Company. Mitzi authored and illustrated a new book titled Improve Your Practice, Free Motion Quilting. Stop piling up those gorgeous quilt tops in the corner for fear of messing them up. Make peace with free motion quilting. Visit jitterywings.com and use the coupon code while she naps good for 20% off your own signed copy. Thank you so much, Mitzi. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.